الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب اليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فهو المهتد ومن يضل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم وبعد Uh, it brings me great pleasure this uh, afternoon uh, to be with my brothers and sisters here at Ishka. And um, as you know, we're here to uh, study what every Muslim is required to know or believe. And so this is a very important topic, and I decided to select a short text, which I quickly translate into English, that we want to study in the next um, you know, two uh, days or so. Um, And the text which I, uh, uh, I, I selected is um, a book which is known as Ar-Risala. Ar-Risala means book, you know, so it doesn't really have a title, but it's Ar-Risala. And the uh, author is um, a great scholar, his name was Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani. Uh, Qayrawan is a city in North Africa, what we call today Tunisia. And it was one of the uh, outposts of the Muslims where they taught uh, the beliefs and uh, many scholars came from that area. So this scholar, uh, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, uh, he lived in the years between 310 to 386 Hijrah. Uh, and he wrote this book called Ar-Risala. And the first part of the book deals with beliefs. And then the book goes on to discuss uh, like prayer and, and uh, then uh, zakah and then fasting and so forth in the acts of Islam you know. uh, and, and he was a pr- such a pr- uh, prominent scholar I mean he, he received the title of Malik al-Saghir or little Malik because he was I mean, you know, so much uh, following Imam Malik and so forth that he received an honorary title so the essay I mean at least in the way I, I numbered the, the paragraphs Uh, it came out to 21 paragraphs. So I think 21 paragraphs we can take in, in these two days. I mean, it's going to be a very quick uh, discussion. I think really if we wanted to study this text uh, very carefully, we should have 21 sessions, one session for each paragraph. But, uh, because that's not going to be possible. We're going to try to go through the text, uh, explaining some points, uh, giving references. Uh, under each paragraph I have some discussion questions. So we'll try to discuss them amongst ourselves and there's something that you can take back and reflect on and so forth. So when you come out of this class, inshallah ta'ala, at least uh, if you take the notes, uh, the references I give you from the Qur'an, uh, from the hadith and the discussion we will have, I think you'll have a good basic understanding of these fundamentals of belief. Okay? So I, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to take the first uh, eight or nine points. Um, that's a good stopping place and then we'll finish the rest Uh, tomorrow, inshallah. And so tomorrow it would probably be helpful if you bring uh, with you uh, your, your, uh, your mushaf, you know what I'm saying? Your English translation of the meaning of the Quran. I mean, that will help uh, in uh, referring to the ayat. I, I neglected to tell the brothers uh, before I came that everybody should bring with him his or her mushaf. But it's okay. We'll make do with the eight points today and then we'll have, everybody will have his or uh, her mushaf with him tomorrow and that will help speed things along. So, Well, let's now start with the, at the beginning, I think we have the, uh, I mean, your, your numbering is different than my numbering, so, 
an American number. Not joking. <laughs> so, in my copy is page two, but I don't know your copy. Maybe it's page. Yeah, it's page two also. Okay. Uh, <coughs> so the the point is is that it starts off, you know, Abu Ibn Abi Zaid al Qayrawani rahmatullah alayhi, and starts off saying chapter, you know, or bab in Arabic, the necessary matters of religious doctrine, belief, which are to be uttered by the tongues and believed in the hearts. So, in other words, these twenty-one you know, principles which we're going to take, these 21 paragraphs, right? Are things we must believe in our hearts, it's required upon us to believe as Muslims, and also it's required for us to say them in our tongue. In other words, to, to announce our belief, to affirm our belief. So whether we do this, um, uh, you know, uh, in, in many ways, but the point is we have to uh, announce and declare our belief in these matters. Uh, and so the, the, first, the first issue he begins with, um, is uh, regarding um, the, the belief um, uh, which again he says uh, uh, there is to be faith, belief in the heart and utterance by the tongue or shaping by the tongue uh, that Allah is ilahun wahid which I translated as one single deity one single deity la ilaha ghayruhu there is no other deity but him okay so let us discuss that right now for uh, for a moment. If you notice, I put the word deity, I put in, in parentheses afterwards, ilah, because it's important that we understand what does the word ilah mean, okay? When we say the testimony of faith, la ilaha illallah, how do people typically translate it? Can somebody give me a, a typical translation that you often hear? Yes, brother. Uh, there's, no, huh? there's no God worthy of worship. Okay. Huh? That's a lot. Another another one that you have often heard? Huh? There's no partners with Allah. Okay. Yes, brother? There's no God but God. Okay, this is what I wanted to start with. Your brother gave the right answer first. I wanted to start with the wrong answer first. Okay, so. Because the wrong answer, then we go to the right answer. We don't, if we start with the right answer, I've got nothing else to say. So you might as well just pack your bags and go home. So. So the, uh, so the point is like there is no God but God uh, this doesn't express what the meaning of la ilaha illallah means because the word ilah in the Arabic language which I translated here as deity uh, the word ilah in the Arabic language is an object I, I think the brothers and sisters should be familiar with the difference between a subject and an object in, in the language whether English or in Arabic the subject for instance is like I ate a sandwich. So I is the subject. Ate is a verb. The sandwich is the object. What I ate. Okay. Um, um, I saw Abdullah. I is, is, is the subject. Saw is the verb. Abdullah is the object. Okay. Uh, uh, she uh, uh, prayed Fajr. She is the subject. Prayed is the verb. Huh? Fajr is the object okay. so uh, so the point is is that uh, all languages the Arabic language not being an exception has the notion of subject and object the word ilah in the Arabic language is an object the fi'al it's in the fi'al form and it's an object and it means he who is worshipped he who is worshipped he whom is worshipped you know so, so so it's the object the object of one's worship okay when you're saying la ilaha 
That means you're saying that there is none who is to be worshipped illallah, but Allah. And that's the affirmation. So the first part of it, la ilaha, is negation. You're negating every single object of worship. Illallah is an affirmation that only Allah is to be worshipped. Okay. And that's why that the example that the brother gave us, that sometimes people translate it, there is no God but God, doesn't convey this meaning. When you say there is no God but God, it doesn't necessarily convey the meaning like the first example we heard, where the brother said none should be worshipped, you know, but Allah, or words to that, you know, effect. So, the first thing that Imam Ibn Zayd al-Qayrawani is teaching us is that we must have faith in our heart and we must utter by our tongues this statement, La ilaha illallah, or that none should be worshipped but Allah Azza And this is, as we discussed last night in the, in the general talk, the general lecture, I mean, this is why Allah created us, right? I have not created jinns nor human beings but to worship me. Mean worship me alone and worship no other. And like and this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and messengers. We have sent to every single people a messenger with the message and worship Allah alone and avoid a fahud. So worship Allah Avoid a fahut. Worship Allah is the affirmation. Avoid fahut is the, the negation. So you can write as proofs over there. You can put next to the point. Uh, Surah 51, uh, verse 56. That's, that's one proof of this first point. And uh, also Surah 16, verse 36. That's the second proof we took. Now. And, and, and likewise... Let me try to uh, find the, the number of the, of the ayah. And likewise, it's sort of the 10. Let me see if I can find the ayah here. If you don't remember the number. Anyway, inshallah, I'll, I'll find you during the break. I mean, in Surah Tunis, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it could be that is because Allah is the truth, meaning only He uh, should be worshipped. And that everything else besides Him is, you know, false, is every false object of worship. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What can there be after the truth but falsehood? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is the truth. He alone should be worshipped. He's the true uh, deity. And everyone worshipped uh, besides him is a false uh, deity. It's a false form of worship. And this uh, statement uh, of Tawheed uh, that La ilaha Allah uh, has to its stipulation. It has to its seven conditions. Let's take these seven conditions very quickly. Um, the first condition is that you must be knowledgeable of what it means. The first condition is that you must be knowledgeable of its meaning. And we've explained what its meaning is. That only Allah should be worshipped and all uh, uh, no worship should be directed to other than Allah. That's the, the, the first, um, uh, the first um, condition or stipulation. The second stipulation is that one must have certitude certitude uh, regarding this in the sense that uh, he should have no doubt that only Allah is to be worshipped and anybody else uh, besides him uh, yeah, should not uh, be worshipped uh, likewise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is the third condition is after certitude 
is that when one says the statement, he should say it out of ikhlas, out of um, uh, out of purity, not having any shirk in his worship. Because sometimes a person might say it, but not understand its meaning, and at the same time fall into shirk. So the, the point is, is that it is not sufficient that you just say the statement, uh, because but you also have to, in your deeds, have to have no shirk in your deeds. And the fourth, uh, the fourth uh, stipulation is that one must be uh, have truthfulness in the statement, because the hypocrites they say la ilaha illallah, but in their hearts they don't believe. So fourth thing is one that has must have, have truthfulness. So we had knowledge of its meaning, certitude of its meaning, sincerity, I mean purity in saying it. The third, fourth thing was uh, that one must be truthful uh, in saying it. The fifth thing is that one must have uh, acceptance and qubul. That in other words, that when, when one is called to believe in la ilaha Allah, right? That he accepts and he enters into the fold of Islam. Not like those pagan Arabs that when it was said to them they were too proud they, they didn't to enter and accept the statement as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the 38th surah uh, then you have uh, after Qubur you have Al-Inqiyad which means that you um, you know this statement has implications I mean it's not just something that we just have in our minds an idea only is Allah to be worshipful we do not actually worship Allah but rather it implies that we have to, uh, you know, uh, obey what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us and so forth. So one must have at least the minimum amount of obedience and the minimum amount of uh, submission unto Allah and following of His commandments. And the final, the final stipulation of la ilaha Allah is that one must love it. Because he who loves, does not love it cannot believe in it. So rather, one must love the fact that only Allah is to be worshipped. And love those who who call unto this, like the prophets, and those who worship Allah from the angels, the righteous believers, and so forth. So, these are the seven stipulations for La'i Allah. So, in summary, right, we said that this first aspect of belief, right, La'i Allah means what? So who can remind me now? Right, Ilah means the word ilah means he who is worshipped. You're right. But la ilaha Allah means none has the right to be worshipped but Allah. Okay, so that, that's correct. And we, we gave some evidences for this, right? We said that uh, from Surah 51, Ayah 56. We said from uh, Surah 36, uh, Surah 16, Ayah 36. And there's also another ayat in uh, Surah Tunis. I can't see it uh, come across it now, but I'll find it in the break. And, and also we talked about the seven stipulations for la ilaha Allah that you must have when you enunciate the statement and those seven stipulations are who can remind me of them knowledge okay certitude sincerity truthfulness acceptance obedience I love it okay example of that this is the first aspect uh, of the first point the first half of the first point so we still have ways to go okay so then, then the Shaykh, uh, then the Shaykh, Rahmatullah Imam Ibn Zayd al-Qayrawani, he, he mentioned that, okay, after we know this thing of La ilaha Allah, he, we also should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has none resembling him, nor anybody equivalent to him, nor, I, I, I translate it as no similar, you know, same thing, uh, nor uh, having a child, nor a parent, uh, nor a spouse, nor a partner. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa Jal 
is unique. There is nothing similar to him. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says uh, in his book, uh, There is nothing like him, and he hears everything and he sees everything. And that's from the 42nd surah, ayah 11. The fourth, huh? 11, 11, 1, 1. So, so <coughs> the, the point is, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing is like him. He's incomparable. There is the creator, and then there is his creation, his creatures. People fall into shirk when they mix up the creator with the creation. That, that's the problem with shirk. I mean, the problem with shirk is when people mix up the creator with the creation. For instance, like the Christians. What's the problem with the Christians? The main problem with the Christians is that huh, that they uh, have ascribed some of the qualities of Allah Azawajal to one of his creatures. Namely, specifically, Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam. What about the problem with the pagan worshippers, those people who are idol worshippers and so forth? Likewise, they think that they're idols and who those idols represent from spirits and righteous people and so forth. They think they have qualities of, of the qualities of Allah Azawajal. So they're mixing the creator with the creation. The Jews, opposite. The Jews disrespect Allah Azawajal. Why? Because they consider Allah to be like a human being. And so therefore, when they, when they attribute to the Creator the qualities of the creation, and so then they see the Creator as, uh, as someone who is with fault and not perfect, so they have no respect and no worship of their Creator, as, as, as they should. Okay? So knowing that only Allah is to be worshipped, the second thing we have to know and believe and say, we have to know that there is the Creator and there is the creation. The Creator is different than the creation. There is nothing like Him. And likewise, another proof that from the things that we mentioned about having a child or a parent, giving birth or being born. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has negated that in His book. I think we all know Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? Because the third ayah huh, in Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? Surah 112, ayah 3, right? Huh? Lam yalad wa lam yulad. Lam yalad wa lam yulad. So, Surah 112, ayah 3, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, clears for us, clarifies that he neither has, you know, he neither had a parent nor did he have a, a child because he... Allah Azawajal is perfect. He is not like his creatures. And likewise in Surah Jinn, uh, <coughs> Surah Jinn, um, I don't know what number Surah Jinn is going to find it. 22? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, 22. Right, 22. Yeah, 22. Uh, Surah Jinn 72, um, uh, ayah number 3, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, tells us that, um, that uh, he says about himself, مَتَّخِذَ uh, الصَّاحِبَةً uh, that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not taken a wife huh, or a child has taken a wife or a child so here that's the proof 72.3 for the thing about having no spouse okay no spouse right as far as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, not having a partner uh, not having a partner um, uh, then that is um uh, in many, many ayat uh, uh, in the Quran you find, you know what I'm saying, 
la sharika lah, that he has no partner, you know what I'm saying? I mean, many, throughout the Quran and throughout the Sunnah you find references to Allah not having a partner. I, I, I remember now the, uh, the surah that, um, I think it was Surah Tiyus, it's not Surah Tiyus, it's Surah Hajj that I, that, that, that I was from. Uh, it's Surah Hajj and, and I can find it now, so I'm tired. Uh, huh? I know Surah Hajj is number 22, but we can't need to find the ayah. So it's, it's towards the middle of the surah. Now, uh, it's, it's Ayah 62. So remember before I said it was Surah Yunus, the said Surah knows, it's Surah 22, Ayah 62. Where Allah says that it could be anna Allah huwa al-haq. That is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truth. وَنَّ مَا يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ هُوَ الْبَاطِلِ And that whatever they call upon other than Allah is falsehood. So that goes back to the first point. Now, correct that. وَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْكَبِيرِ So the point is, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is uh, 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 having not having a child or parent or similar or spouse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is different than his creation he's perfect we must assume between the creator and the creation now if you make a, an error in any of these two points okay then uh, then uh, this is what we call shift so in the first point if you worship any others with Allah that is shift and likewise, in the second point, if you resemble any of Allah's creatures to Allah, or resemble Allah with any of His creatures, this is also shirk. And concerning shirk, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said uh, twice in uh, Surah 4. Surah 4 verse 48 is, is one example, and also 116 I believe. Uh, that Allah does not forgive the sin of shirk. Allah Allah does not forgive the sin of making shirk with him, but he forgives any other sin to whom he will. So what does it mean here that Allah does not forgive the sin of, of associating partners with Allah? It means at the time of death. It means the time of death. Because if it wasn't understood like that, then it wouldn't, we, we would say to the people who are not Muslims, and who are committing shirk, you know what I'm saying, and they want to respond, we'll say, well, Allah can't forgive your sin, there's no, there's no reason to become a Muslim then, right? So it means at the time of death. The person who dies, either worshipping others with Allah or dies resembling Allah with his creatures or resembling Allah's creatures with Allah, this is a sin of shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive this sin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also told us in Surah 5, uh, I believe it's verse 72, إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكُ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلْظَالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ Yes, uh, I am 72. That whoever uh, commits shirk uh, with Allah, Allah has forbidden paradise for him. And his abode is the hellfire and he will find nobody to assist him. You know, nobody to help him. In other words, those who he used to worship or those who he used to attribute divinity to and confuse the creator with the creation. They're all Allah's creatures and so therefore they will not be able to assist him in the day of judgment because they were all false deities that he set up. Okay? So now we know the implication, right? The third point we, we studied, right, is the implication, right, of what happens when one fails in the first two points, right? By worshiping others besides Allah or by huh, uh, ascribing divinity to one of Allah's creatures or by resembling Allah with one of his creatures. Then you have committed the action of shirk. If you die upon that sin, what's going to happen? You'll not be, paradise will be forbidden for you and the hellfire will be your abode and Allah will not, because Allah does not forgive that sin. That's the reason why. Okay. So, now we have some discussion questions. Um, 
do we have any uh, the, the first uh, point we did I mean I, let me get some sort of feedback from the audience uh, is, was the pace good or you think or is it okay so I mean if I'm going too quickly or too slowly just give me an Yes, Surah 4, Surah 4, Ayah 48, 48, 48, and Surah 5, Ayah 72. And also for, for my sisters, I mean, if you have anything, uh, either send a note or, you know, uh, say something so I can, you know, make sure that, uh, that you're getting the information likewise. Now, so we want to have some few discussion questions which we'll just talk about very quickly. And then what I would like the brothers and sisters to do is that when you, you know, when these tapes become available and with your notes and you go back and you know hear them you take these discussion questions and amongst yourselves you discuss it or you reflect upon it I mean or this becomes material by which you can write short little paragraphs instead of the internet for da'wah I mean this is the whole idea about these discussions but we can talk about it briefly uh, is it sufficient to recognize Allah's oneness by the heart and without acknowledging that with the tongue in other words is it sufficient for somebody to believe la ilaha Allah but by his tongue not to say la ilaha Allah what did we study here no, right? Because we said these matters, they have to be what? Believed by the heart and also said by the tongue. So unless a person is in a position of coercion, where he's like, for instance, in very few circumstances, where a person um, is hiding his faith, because for him to announce his faith, it might lead for, you know, some sort of retribution, thing like that. But besides these few instances, you're required to announce that you, you know, it's not permissible for you to to say, I just believe in it, but I'm not going to announce my time. Yes, brother. Um, there's here two issues, okay? The brother's question is that, let's say there's an unbeliever who, 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 who comes to the recognition in his heart that Allah is only to be worshipped, and he starts believing. Is he a Muslim from that point, or is he a Muslim when he enunciates it by his tongue? He's a Muslim in the worldly sense when he enunciates it by his tongue. Because it's only then when he gets our rights you know, we have upon him, you know, our rights. And in that sense, the mutual rights occur. Because before then, we don't know how do we know what's in his heart, right? But with Allah, Azawajal, with Allah, Azawajal, uh, if, you know, he didn't know that he had to enunciate it, okay, uh, and, or he was uh, under some sort of duress or something, and it prevented from him to publicly announce his shahada, then he's a believer with Allah, Azawajal. And he doesn't enjoy what the believers enjoy in this world. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, if there was a jihad and the Muslim having to kill him, there's no retribution upon the Muslim because the Muslim would not know how that he's a Muslim. But if the person who, who knows, who says, I believe that Allah, but I refuse to announce it, and there's no under, there's no under duress or coercion, and I guess this person is not a believer, neither before Allah nor in this world. Because he's refusing to announce the truth. It's just like Iblis. Iblis knows the truth, but he refuses to acknowledge it. And, to submit to it and follow it. So, then we said mention some matters that we're required to single Allah out in. Uh, so we mentioned one matter, which is worship, okay? And um, I, I neglected to talk about the other matters, so perhaps I should discuss them now. Uh, besides the matter of worship, which is the foremost matter, why we have created anything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us that it's unique with him in the Quran or the Prophet has informed us is unique regarding Allah in the Sunnah we have to single out Allah in that okay like creating like creating nobody creates but Allah 
in a sense bringing something from non-existence to existence. So this is something, for instance, Allah has affirmed is only to Him, right? Uh, in the Quran, likewise the Prophet has affirmed it's only to Allah as we're done in the Sunnah, then we have to only affirm this to Allah. We cannot attribute this quality to anybody else besides Allah. Likewise, giving life or giving death. Uh, likewise, um, forgiving sins. Uh, entering into paradise or entering into hell. These are all things which are unique to Allah. They're his own actions. Nobody participates in that. Nobody has any rights in that. So whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has as his rights, we must single out Allah in that. Okay. We discussed one thing in Majjita, which was worship. Right? Okay. Uh, mention some matters that we are required to negate from Allah. Well, we mentioned some, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a partner, we must negate that. Huh? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a, 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 a parent or a, a, or a, a child or, or that there's anybody equal uh, to Allah, as resembling Allah. Uh, we, we mentioned these matters. So these are some of the matters that we must negate from Allah. There are many others. Any fault which is attributed to Allah, any imperfection, we must negate from Allah. Like, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates from himself in the Quran that he shows any injustice to his creatures. Uh, like that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates uh, from himself in the Quran uh, what, what the, uh, the, the people of scripture uh, attribute to him that after he created the heavens and the earth in six days that he rested or he became weary. Allah negates that from himself. Allah negates from himself in, uh, in Ayat al-Qursi that he sleeps or that he slumbers, dozes off, okay? So, whatever Allah negates from himself, okay, from imperfections that people attribute to him or whatever the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa negates from Allah from the imperfections that people attribute to Allah, we must also huh, negate that, okay? But we took some matters which we, which we discussed and gave some proofs to us. So how do we feel about the first paragraph? Do we move on to the second paragraph? Okay. Yes, I think. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, I just need, this person needs to, I mean, you need to really know his situation to, to say something. I mean, for instance, let's say it's a person who, you know, I mean, I know, for instance, there are people who, there was this one man I, I know of an incident was who was, um, um, what's the term for him? A person who's, I guess, paraplegic. Right, and he had no one to take care of him but his his wife and his family. Uh, he he uh, his neighbor was a Muslim. His neighbor was a Muslim. In fact, his neighbor was a Shaykh, and uh, he accepted Islam. But because he had no one to take care of him, and because when he tried to bring the the, the subject in front of his wife and so forth, and he could see that the reaction was that they would just throw him out, you know, and so forth. Uh, he, he didn't announce his Islam publicly. So, I mean, he would um, I mean, practice Islam, but hide his Islam. Uh, I know of another brother who was, um, I mean, he eventually became a, a very famous mujahid, but I mean, when he first took his jihada, he had to hide his face with his parents, because his parents were communists and uh, part of the Yugoslavian government and so forth. So for about two years, he had to hide his face from his parents. He didn't publicly announce his faith. When he'd be in front of the Muslims, he'd be praying and so forth. But in his home, he would hide his faith. He wouldn't announce his faith. I also know of uh, many incidents of young, young women, for instance, teenage girls and so forth, you know, who have no means to take care of themselves. They accept the shahada and so forth. They can't. Uh, their parents will kick them out or cause them harm if they were to announce their faith. The Muslims don't have the ability to take them in and to take care of them. 
So, I mean, in front of their parents, they don't announce their faith, you know, in front of their neighbors and so forth. But when they, they go out, they announce faith. In fact, one sister, she used to uh, put her, uh, her, uh, her scarf in her purse. So she'd walk out to school in the morning, you know, she'd walk a little bit further, she'd then tie her, you know, scarf on her hair and, you know, walk out like that. So, so I mean, these, so these people, these circumstances occur. So as far as the question about this person specifically, uh, if he's under duress, then maybe he has an excuse. But if not, then perhaps he might be, you know, nullifying his testimony. Okay? So somebody needs to sit and see really what is the motivation with him and give him advice privately. It's not the last time Tata will guide him to that with his success. Okay, cool. The Prophet answered your question. The, the Prophet told us that every child is born upon the fitra, the natural way that Allah created them. And then their parents make them, turn them into a Jew or a Christian or a fire worker. The Prophet gave them uh, an example. So just like an animal, who gives birth to another animal without any defects. Uh, do you notice any sort of um, imperfection in it until you go about them? Because the pagan Arabs used to have uh, sort of like uh, uh, practices where they used to like cut off the ears of the camels and stuff, just their pagan ideas and so forth. So, Prophet was saying when the, when the camel gives birth to the other camel, the baby camel, you know, do you notice any sort of imperfections in it, any sort of marks in it, until you go ahead and do it? So that's the same way the human being. The human being is born perfect. And the human being is born with an inclination to worship Allah as well. The human being is born with this la ilaha Allah rooted in its being. But it doesn't know how to go about to worship Allah alone. That's why Allah sent the prophets and the messengers to show human beings the way. But as you said exactly, what happens is the human being, when he grows in an environment, he becomes programmed. And so then that what happens is this natural inclination that's in the human being begins to slowly start, the human being starts to lose it and starts to forget it. So it's still there, but it has now all this heap of ideas and, and on top of it that needs to be now removed. You know. So uh, for a child at the age of six, it's much easier than for a child at the age of 13. And a child at the age of 13 is much easier than a child at the age of 18. Um, so, I mean, in terms of uh, how to approach this specific thing of discharging responsibilities or not, perhaps we can talk afterwards about it and try to think of some, some solutions to that. But to your question uh, in itself, uh, your children were born like every single child on the face of the earth with an inclination, you know, rooted in its being, that it has a creator who, it, you know, he or she should worship. But the prophets of Allah, Allah sent the prophets of Allah, the final prophet being the prophet Muhammad to explain to us how to worship Allah as well, to know Allah's names and attributes, and in other words, to give us the details of what we've been programmed for. Please. Right. Yes. Everything praises Allah in the universe. Every every single living thing praises Allah as well. But animals do it in a way which is befitting for animals and trees do it in a way which is befitting trees and plants and insects for insects. I mean, because as, as, as we all recognize, you know, animals and plants and trees and fish and, and insects and so forth don't have this burden that human beings have of choosing between right and wrong. So as a result, uh, 
we, uh, the creation of humanity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and He raised us to the status because He gave us His ability to choose. It. And so this is the test that He forces. But while the animals and the plants and the trees, they just go about their existence as they were, you know, created programming you know, to do. But they praise Allah which, uh, they, they, in, in their way, you know what I'm saying. And we, of course, we can't hear, I mean, how them, you know, praising Allah. There are some prophets in the law, like the prophet Dawood, David, out of his, uh, Allah says in the Quran, and one of his miracles that he could hear the praising of the mountains and of the of the, uh, the birds and so forth. So, but for us regular human beings, we, we're unaware of them. But we know in our hearts because Allah has told us that these creatures, in their own way, are praising their creator and fulfilling the purpose of their existence in their own way. So, um, now let us come to the second paragraph, and that is. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, the, uh, uh, the author is telling us something else about our Creator, which is taken from the Quran. And that there is not for His, uh, you know, there is neither a beginning for His firstness, nor there is an end for His lastness. But, so, what does that mean? It means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no beginning and He has no end. He's the eternal. And the proof is uh, the uh, Surah Al Hadid. Which I guess is uh, Surah 58. Let me check to make sure. 58 or 57. 57, Surah 57, uh, Ayah number 3, Ayah number 3, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That He is the first and He is the last. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala existed before everything, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will continue to exist and never come to an end. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Uh, so this is so. There's neither you can either say there's a beginning to Allah or an end to Allah. So that he is forever living, ever living, ever existing as Allah. And then the author said that human description cannot reach the profundity of his attributes. What, what does that mean? In other words, that human beings, if we try to describe Allah as we could never describe him you know, fully as he deserves, okay? Because he's just too great for our tongues to describe him. That's why the, the only way you can describe Allah is to describe him as how he has described himself. Because when Allah describes himself in the Quran, or likewise when the Prophet Muhammad describes Allah by his words, his sunnah, then that's a true description of Allah. But for us as human beings, if we try by our own accord, you know, to describe our Lord, we could never describe Him as He deserves because He's too great. And, and I want this principle, we have to really, I mean, understand this principle about Allah's greatness because often we, we don't appreciate this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so great that we cannot praise Him as He deserves to be praised. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, as the Prophet excuse me, as the Prophet taught us in His dua, He said, Allahumma la uhsi thana'an alayk. Oh Allah, I cannot enumerate the praises belonging to you. You are only as you have praised yourself. So here's the Prophet Muhammad, the most knowledgeable of all creatures regarding Allah. His Prophet, upon whom he revealed his scripture. And yet the Prophet is praying in his, in his dua, in the Witcher prayer. Huh? Oh Allah, I cannot praise you. I cannot enumerate your praises. You are only as you praise yourself. That's regarding praise of Allah. Likewise, regarding worship of Allah, 
Yeah, I gave the example last night of, of the angel where the Prophet was walking with his companions and they heard a creaking sound above them you know like when you walk on a wood you know old wood in you know, an old house and, and the Prophet they heard the sound in the heavens above the Prophet said do you know what this is? they said they don't know they said the Prophet said there is not a single hand span this is a hand span above us in the heavens above except there is an angel either standing or bowing or prostrating they have been that way since Allah has created them and they will remain that way until the trumpet of for the day of judgment is blown and then they will say oh Allah we have not worshipped you as you deserve so you can't praise Allah as he uh, uh, deserves you cannot worship Allah as he deserves what about thanking Allah can we thank Allah as he deserves well it's reported that the prophet Dawood who Allah describes in the Quran as one of his servants who is uh, shows much gratitude you know what I'm saying and Allah says there are very few of his servants who show gratitude unto him but Dawood is one of those who shows much gratitude to Allah he reported that the prophet Dawood said oh Allah how can I thank you when thanking you you know is a blessing that you have given to me which requires from me to thank you for thanking you itself is a blessing that I must show gratitude for so even if you to show thanks for that blessing then you need huh another thanks and so forth so you can never thank Allah if you deserve for his blessing and likewise so we, so we did we did uh, praise we did worship we did thanks let us take now repentance okay likewise repentance you can never repent unto Allah as he deserves for the sin you have committed because your sin if you consider it in respect of who you have disobeyed then the sin is very heinous indeed if you consider who you have disobeyed that's why the earliest Muslims would say don't look at the sin the insignificance of the sin but look at to whom, who you have disobeyed the greatness of who you have disobeyed and that's why uh, from the principles of repentance is that you need to repent from your repentance because your repentance is never going to be as it should be you see what I'm saying and so therefore you should ask Allah to forgive you for the weakness of your repentance and then in asking Allah to forgive you for the weakness of your repentance that's the second repentance which also you need to ask repentance for and so on and so on it's like the thanks you can never you know you can never uh, uh, repent unto Allah as he deserves and likewise fearing Allah as he deserves and loving Allah as he deserves all these things we can never do it as as he deserves and also what the, what the Sheikh mentioned in the book you know Ibn Abi Zayd al about praising Allah or describing Allah we can never describe Allah and praise him as he deserves all we can do is the best praise we can give of Allah the best description we can give of Allah is as how he has described himself that is the only perfect description of of, of, of contemplating what, who Allah is as he deserves and so that's why if you ever try to describe Allah by only by your own words or you try to think of Allah which are by your own thoughts you're going to go astray you're not you're not going to to, to truly describe your Lord you're going to describe or you're going to you're going to think of reflect upon something which is not Allah and that's why when it comes to Allah's names and attributes we always need to describe Allah as he has described himself and likewise or as his prophet has described him we do not enter that from our own accord because we're incapable as human beings to do that so then the author says that human reflection should contemplate his signs but it should not reflect on the nature of his essence 
uh, nor does it encompass anything of his knowledge except what he wills. What does that mean? In other words, when we reflect, we should not try to reflect upon Allah, means our minds cannot encompass that. But rather we should reflect upon his signs. What does he mean by his signs? His creatures that he has put there. These signs, his creatures are indications of him. So we look at the greatness and the vastness of the universe, right? And that indicates to us the greatness of its creator. We look at the beauty, the beauty of We look at the beauty of the creator's creation, right? That is indicative of the beauty of the creator. We look how every single thing in the creation has a purpose. Even the most, what we might consider the most insignificant thing, has a wisdom. If that thing is not there, the whole, you know, the whole environmental system like unravels and so forth. So we know that our creator must be all wise and so forth and so on. So by reflecting upon his creatures, his signs, then uh, we, we, we know, we begin to know our creator. Yes, brother, I can hear you the last part. Sorry. That's true, many groups of people, many groups of human beings, by them trying to enter into knowing Allah by their own reasoning, they have gone astray. I mean, I mean imagine now, is there a church around us here? So, this is, huh? uh, down the road, okay. So let's say we were to call up the church there and we should say uh, to, I guess, the pastor or the priest, whatever they call him, and say to them, they say, well, hey, you know, we, we're, we're a group of Muslims, we'd like to come and, and discuss the nature, you know what I'm saying, of the creator with you. And we should sit down with him and, we, and he would start, you know, discussing. He says, start and we'll talk. What are you going to hear from him? He's going to go into a long discussion of what his own ideas are. And most likely it's going to be contradictory, it's not going to make much sense. And if you go to the next church next block over, they'll tell you something completely different. Then if you go to the third church, they'll tell you something completely different. But that's why they say that if you were to get ten Christians together in a room, you'd come out with eleven opinions as to who Allah is. So, you know, so the point is because each person is trying to describe the Creator by his own reasoning, by his own reflection. And sometimes in the same, you sit with him for 10-15 minutes, he'll say two contradictory things. And likewise with those Muslims who are astray, who don't follow the Qur'an and Sunnah, according to the understanding of the earliest Muslims. When it comes to how to describe Allah, they also they deviate and they go astray. But when we say we describe Allah as He's described Himself, He's our Lord, He knows how He is, or as His Prophet has described Him, then we are safe from, from going astray in this sense. And then we know Allah by studying His names, and studying His attributes, as mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and also by reflecting on His creation, which He has you know, filled and for us to reflect upon. So I see, I see the, the power of a tornado, right? And I say, subhanAllah, how powerful must be the Creator. I see the vastness of the universe. I say, how great must be our Creator. I see the beauty, you know what I'm saying, of the sunset. And I say, subhanAllah, how beautiful my Creator must be. And so forth and so on. I, I see the mercy that a, a mother has for a newborn child. And say, oh, subhanAllah, how merciful my Creator must be. You know, I, I see I see the wisdom in, in how in the most you know um, if you study science you see the most you know, the most delicate aspects of the human body everything works together so you know uh, specifically and so uniquely and so I said oh subhanallah how wise in my creation so this is by reflecting upon the creation but if I sit there myself and like these people they sit around the round table you know saying so you go to uh, University of Melbourne and go to the division of uh, Department of Religion talk to the professors there and about who is who is God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth 
nonsense they just said. They're not basing it upon knowledge which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to them through the Quran. So this is what the Shaykh is trying to teach us here. Now as far as reflecting upon uh, his, his creatures, uh, there is an evidence uh, in Surah 7, uh, Ayah 185. Surah 7, Ayah 185, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do they not look or contemplate uh, in the kingdom of the heavens the earth and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created? So here Allah is rebuking the unbelievers for not contemplating. And that's one of the problems of modern life. You see? Modern life, all the hustle and bustle in these big cities, you know what I'm saying? People don't have time you know, to take their breath and to look and contemplate. But if a human being was just to contemplate for a few moments, you know what I'm saying, he would quickly find himself in awe and would realize you know, his weakness and his, his poverty before Allah is with us. Uh, and as far as the, the last part what the, what the, what the uh, Sheikh said that they do not encompass anything of his knowledge what he wills in other words all what we know about Allah is what he has revealed unto us about him all what we know about Allah is what he has revealed and he has told us about him by the Quran or by the Sunnah the Prophet and the proof is uh, Surah 2 Ayah 255 which is Ayah the Kursi Surah 2, Ayah 55, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءٍ They do not encompass anything of His knowledge, but what He wills. So what we know of Allah Azawajal is what He has told us of Himself. And other things we do not know, so we cannot uh, discuss that. No. Then, then, then the author mentioned something about Allah Azawajal, that His kursi, which I'll explain in a moment. I can't say his footstool. I'll explain to you in a moment what it means. Um, that his kursi, this is from Ayat al-Kursi, Wasi'ah, Kursiyahu Simawatu al-Ard, Surah 2, Ayah 255, that his kursi has uh, encompassed or spread over the heavens and the earth. Okay, the kursi, as Ibn Abbas said, the Prophet's companion, as Ibn Abbas said, he said, it is the footstool. I mean, you know, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a throne. Allah is above his throne. And before the throne, there is uh, like a seat or something like that, a footstool. Okay. This footstool is as large, encompasses the whole heavens and the earth. The whole universe. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, is there, is there anybody here who's an astronomer who can tell us what the size of the universe? They say, no, I, I forget the number of it. Huh? They just found something more fun. So, okay, so, I mean, you know, just from their farthest telescopes, they, they haven't even been able to see the edge of the universe, you know what I'm saying? There's so many, I don't know, what, millions or billions of light years, you know, and so forth. So, so the point is, is that, uh, so that, you know, this have, so his kursi uh, is spread, it encompasses over uh, the heavens, the earth, and as the Arayk of some, and as, that's what Allah tells us in the Quran, Surah 2, Ayah 55. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, the Prophet, excuse me, tells us, the Prophet sallallahu tells us that the kursi in comparison to the throne, his arsh, is like if you were to take a ring and throw it into the desert. So, if the kursi encompasses the heavens, the earth, the universe, and then the kursi compared to the throne, is like taking a ring and throwing it to the desert. But the Prophet then said, no one can measure, no one can estimate the size 
of the throne except for Allah I mean even the angels who are carrying the throne cannot estimate its size because of its greatness and Allah is greater than that Allahu Akbar Allah is greater than that so I mean we are insignificant nothing compared to Allah so that, that is the creator so, so the, the, the author he mentions to us this verse so we know something of the greatness of the creator and yet at the same time as Ayatul Kursi continues uh, that Allah preserving the heavens, the earth, Allah preserving the universe, keeping it going, its existence, and providing for it, does not weary Allah for it. Does not tire him, it does not bear, you know, bear him uh, down and so forth. So that shows you, and that he is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is Al-Ali, Al-Azim. Al-Ali, uh, which I translate here as exalted, means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above everything. Above everything in the sense that he is above all his creation, above his throne, and also above everything in the sense that he's perfect and he's greater than everything. And the Ali means that he is greater uh, than everything. So some of the uh, so that's from all from the last two or three sentences was all from Surah two uh, two fifty five. So the discussion questions we had were was there anything before Allah or is there anything after him and what do we say? No, and we have, we took the proof from Surah Al Hadith, right? Uh, you might want to add two more other proofs for that which I neglected to mention uh, Surah Rahman which is Surah 55 uh, Surah 55 and verses, two, 20, verses 26 and 27 uh, mentions that everything will come to an end but your Lord will remain okay, so that's another, another evidence uh, what is the footstool? he said the footstool is huh, uh, the place where, uh, which is, is, is something a, cre- a creation that lies before the throne as Ibn Abbas said okay uh, it's the place of Allah's where Allah places his two feet and uh, it is uh, how, how, how large is it how great is it Allah tells us in the Quran that it is what we would call in English today the universe ok does anyone encompass Allah uh, or his essence and knowledge does anyone no and the proof is this ayah from Isaac 14 all we know about Allah is what he has told us so we describe him as he has described himself to us some of the beautiful names of Allah which we just studied well that he's the first, the last that he's Al-Ali, the exalted above everything that he's Al-Azim, the great okay so I think we're yes brother well because, the, because Ibn Abbas said that Al-Kursi al qadamain that is the place of the two the, fo- the footstool and, and it was described by the Prophet's companions to be something which lies before the throne Extend, and Allah says that it extends over the heavens and the earth so kursi I mean I know in, in the Arabic language in, in contemporary Arabic it means chair one would think of like this but it doesn't, it doesn't have that meaning at in, 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 in this ayah as, as the Prophet's companion Ibn Abbas uh, has, have explained, has explained what else is yes let's go Raise your voice a bit, please. I appreciate it. No. Right. So th- 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 that hadith is weak. So, I mean, the hadith is not confirmed by the Prophet So, therefore, we can just dispense it. But, I mean, if the hadith says, mentioned 500 years of travel, uh, we don't know what's the, what's the, I mean, by what measure is it, you know what I'm saying? 
500 years by what measure, we don't know. You know. I mean, if the hadith is speaking from. The hadith doesn't tell us by which measuring he was. You know. By foot, by horse, by, you know, what? Uh, by angel. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa didn't tell us, so. Or the but the hadith is weak anyway. Uh, okay, now we come to um, the third paragraph. And the third paragraph talks about a number of um, Allah's attributes, and I think we can uh, go through them a little bit quickly. Um, I don't know how much time we have. Uh, let's go through the third paragraph and we take a, take a break for five minutes. Is that so, uh, the third paragraph says that uh, Allah, the author is still describing for us some of Allah's names and attributes, just like he started in the second paragraph. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Alim Al-Khabir, the All-Knowing. So these are two names of Allah Azawajal, that he's Al-Alim and he is Al-Khabir. So what is the difference uh, in meaning between um, uh, these uh, two uh, names of Allah? Um, Al-Alim uh, means the one who knows everything. And Al-Khabir means the one who knows the inner nature of, of things. Okay? So don't between Al-Alim and Al-Khabir. Al-Alim is the one who knows everything, but Al-Khabir knows the inner nature, the hidden, the hidden aspects of something. So it, it, it is more descriptive than Al-Alim. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it has the meaning of Al-Alim and an additional meaning to it. Okay. Uh, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Mudabbir Al-Khabir. That He is all capable disposing of all events or all things in the universe you know in, tra- in charge of everything in the universe taking care of everything in the universe uh, this is very clear um, from an, an ayah in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرِ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ that he uh, controls the affairs or, or takes or disposes it from the heavens until it reaches the earth in other words he decrees something in the heavens until it comes to earth what he has decreed and that is in Surah Al-Sajda, the 32nd Surah, Ayah 5, Ayah 5. 32nd, 3-2, Ayah 5. And and then the author, um, I I didn't mention evidences about Allah's knowledge. I mean, if you look at uh, Surah 35, Ayah 38, 35-38, and Surah 10, Ayah 61, that talks about Allah's knowledge, that He knows everything, and so forth. Now, then the author... Uh, uh, mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is Al-Ali Al-Kabir and that is also two of Allah's names that he is as we mentioned that he is above everything that he has all forms of perfection and Al-Kabir means that he is the great there is nothing greater than Allah that's also from the Quran there is a verse which, which mentions these two names of Allah uh, then the author mentions uh, that about Allah's you know, greatness and being above his exaltedness uh, that he is above his throne by his essence and he is every place by his knowledge so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if he's asked when he's asked where is your Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that he's above his throne so we have the creation the heavens and the earth the universe right and then we have the kursi huh? which extends over the heavens and the earth and then we have the throne right and Allah is just above his throne but yet Allah knows everything nothing escapes Allah's knowledge so while Allah is above his throne he at the same time he knows everything he even knows what you know, our inner thoughts you know what I'm saying nothing escapes from Allah as, as sometimes the scholars like to 
um, you know, give a similar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and sees and hears that small black ant creeping up that black mountain in the middle of the night. Nothing escapes him. Indeed, even more, you know, I mean, now that's, that's the example that they gave before because of the, the smallest thing that we can see. But, I mean, for us, we can even give examples like even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the electrons, you know what I'm saying? Buzzing around the nucleus, you know what I'm saying? Where they are at the, you know, at that moment and so forth, you know. So, you know. So, so I mean, so nothing escapes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge. And yet, yet at the same time, He is above above uh, his throne Azzawajal uh, and the proof is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Taha uh, in Surah 20 Ayah 5 uh, has said Ar-Rahman wa ala al-Arsh istawa Ar-Rahman is one of his names that I mentioned last night in the public lecture Ar-Rahman is his, one of his names which describes his mercy so he's Ar-Rahman, the merciful Lord who is above his throne. Allah describes himself like that in Surah 20, Ayah 5. See, in seven passages in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to him being above his throne. So he is above his throne, Azawajal, and he created us human beings, and he even knows the evil suge- suggestions uh, which our soul whispers to us. So we should not think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being above, you know what I'm saying, that the, the universe, all these, you know, millions and millions of miles, of, you know, light years or whatever they, you know, they happens to be, and then there's the, the kursi, and then there's the, the throne, that ha- how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala know of us on earth? I don't know, I mean, uh, maybe some of you have seen either um, some of these television sitcom programs or movies, not that I'm suggesting to watch them, but perhaps at one time you came across one where sometimes they have a scene and one of these kafirs, he says, you know, he looks up and he says, I don't know if you know that I'm down here. You know what I'm saying? He tries to make, huh? So this is, this is, this is the extreme amount of ignorance, right? Of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that he's down here. Allah knows everything about him. Allah knew that he was going to ask that question before he was even created. Oh, so this is, shows their ignorance, you know what I'm saying? So the author here is trying to tell us so we know where our Allah, Allah is, azawajal, and when we put our faces to the ground in prostration, we say, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la Glory be unto thee You know what I'm saying My Lord the Most High Yes he's above everything Above his throne But yet he knows of me on this earth He knows of me Indeed he even knows What's whispering to my soul As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said In Surah Qaf Surah 50 Ayah 16 That وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ We have created human beings وَنَعْلَمُ And we know What is whispering What his own soul whispers to him so Allah created us and He knows what our soul whispers even though He's above His uh, the heavens um, uh, huh? surah, surah 50 Ayah 16 Surah 50 Ayah 16 Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَنَحْنُ and we are أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ we are closer to Him than His own jugular vein you know what I'm saying His own this vein coming to your neck which gives you life you know comes from your heart and to your Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is closer in his knowledge so in other words he knows you more than you know yourself that's why nothing can be hidden from yes brother yes that's a good point many people try to use this ayah as an evidence they say that Allah is everywhere and they say that therefore Allah is in us and they try to attribute divinity to themselves and it goes on until we start worshipping you know, human beings so the point is, is that the Qur'an is an integral whole. 
one cannot take one passage of the Quran in exclusion to another passage. Uh, who, who amongst the brothers uh, uh, has memorized Surah Al-Ma'un? Huh? Most of them play it. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first say about the uh, uh, people who pray? Huh? Cursed are the people who pray. Okay, if we just stop there, can we say, okay, brothers, look. Allah's cursed people who pray. So, you know, the other time is going to come. We, we, better, we better make sure we're not in this message because we don't want Allah to have curse to come down upon us, right? Well, you have to continue the ayah. Those who are negligent, you know what I'm saying, or, you know, uh, their minds are drifting in their prayers. Allah's cursing these people, right? So, so the, the Quran, that's an example of a single ayah. So, the Quran as a whole, you have to take its entirety. So when you read those passages regarding Allah Azawajal, it's very clear the evidence is, you know, الْقَاهِرُ فَوْقَ عِبَادِهِ that He is the all-powerful above His, cre- his creations, that the, the angels fear their Lord above Him. Are you afraid of He who is in the heavens? Are you not afraid of He who is in the heavens that He might punish you? And that uh, He's Ar-Rahman who is above His throne. All these passages show to that. And likewise, the, 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 uh, the Sunnah of the Prophet evidence after evidence. And yet, Allah has told us regarding His knowledge, huh? that he is aware of everything and that he is, knows our innermost thoughts and feelings. So, that's it. So these people, they're only looking at one aspect of the Qur'an before they go astray. This brother, Shalom. Shalom. No. No, I, I think they mean, and I'm not a scholar of the English language, right? But I think they mean when they say that this ice cream tastes divine, right? They mean that it is so good that it was as if it was created uh, by Allah's very hands. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what they're trying to say. Oh, hey, it's, it's, it's something which, you know, that is, uh, the Muslims don't speak like this, you know what I'm saying? And this is something which we find, you know what I'm saying, from the unbelievers, you know what I'm saying, this is how they describe things. But you don't find, I don't know of any, I can't think at least now, it doesn't come to my mind, you know what I'm saying, of any similar sort of thing in the Arabic language, you know what I'm saying, or in the Quran, huh? Sunnah, huh? No, no, creation here, I mean, you can say in the Arabic language, you know what I'm saying. Uh, in the sense of creation here, doesn't mean like the creation of the, uh, the heavenly earth. I mean, it means the word to create doesn't, um, you know, in one sense is, is, is restricted to a wise but in another sense is general. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yes, brother. Yes, brother. Go ahead. No. No. No, no, I mean, the brother doesn't care what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala different places like... No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes closer to, to the... Uh, he, he draws closer to the lowest heavens of the earth during the last third of the night. But that does not negate him being above his throne at the same time. How that is done, this is something which... I mean, the Creator, we can't... You know, we can't explain. No knowledge has been given to us. So, so do not think that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, comes down, descends down to the lowest third of the night, uh, the implication is that he's left his throne, for instance. You know, okay. He's still above all his creation. Yes, the hadith is 
Now she says Bishma, she said this Sama'. And in the Arabic language, Sama' means doesn't means that which is above. So 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 she said, the, the, the girl she said, you know, he it would be what do we say in English? He is above us. You know, that's Okay, um, let's, let's try to, to, to try to close this up. So then, then the author. So then, the, then the author. Uh, he mentions uh, something about uh, Allah's knowledge because he wants us to, to really understand this attribute of Allah, Allah's knowledge. I mean, we, we just took now how Allah knows our, even our own whispering that He's closer to us in His knowledge than our own juggler vein. Okay, so he gives us another verse in the Quran that not a leaf falls, but Allah knows it. Um, that there's not a seed in the darkness of the earth, nor a plant green or withered, but it is in a clear book. Kitab and Mubi. And that's an ayah which is from um, Surah Al-An'am, uh, the sixth surah, ayah 59. Uh, that there's not a single leaf which falls, except that uh, he knows about it. Uh, except that it is uh, in... Uh, the uh, this this kitab will be. So what's, what is this kitab will be? What is this clear book? This is what we call Allah al-Mahfud, the preserved tablet. And we we find a hadith. We find a hadith in Abu Dawood on Ubadah ibn Salamat, the Prophet's companion, Ubadah ibn Salamat in Abu Dawood, that the Prophet said that among the first things that Allah created was the pen. Among the first things that Allah created was the pen. Allah said to the pen, write. The pen inquired, what should I write? Allah said, write everything which would occur until the day of So that, that leaf that falls, you know what I'm saying, at, in, at fall time, you know, it's autumn, you know, falls down to the ground and falls in that specific place, that's in that preserved tablet. There might be now in some, some place in Australia, in some sort of desert, there might be a seed in the ground, you know what I'm saying, with its roots shooting into it. That's in the preserved tablet. Not anything is escaping from that. Now when when was this when was I'll come to you a second brothers. When was the preserved tablet, when was the pen asked to write? Well there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim where the Prophet tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote the measures of all things before he created the heavens and the earth by fifty thousand years. And his throne was above the water. So 50,000 years prior to creating the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala huh, uh, uh, measured, uh, the, the, you know, wrote all these, uh, created the pen and told the pen to write all these things. Okay. Now, who asked me about the, the distance before? So here is another example. Uh, the, the hadith says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, huh, uh, before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years, right? Well, how do we measure, how do we measure a, a year? Well, what's the year's measure by? Huh? By appearance, by days, but what's, 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 right, 12, 12, 12, 12 passages, huh, of, of the moon, right? 12 new moons, right, make a year, you know what I'm saying? And, and, the, and, and the solar calendar, of course, not the Islamic calendar, right, is the, the rotation of the earth around the sun, right? So, but the point is, by, by the Islamic calendar, 12, huh, rotations of the moon around the earth, that's a year. So the hadith says before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. So the moon and the earth are part of the heavens and the earth, right? So obviously the 50,000 years the measure by this, right, is not the measure of the 50,000 years by our measuring because that's part of the heavens and the earth which is, hasn't been created yet, okay? 
So it's a 50,000 years by another measure, by another measure. Even though the hadith you mentioned was weak, I just wanted to give just some sort of, uh, you know, uh, additional information. Yeah. No, because there's an ayah in the Quran that says that a year with your Lord, you know what I'm saying, is like a thousand years by what you with him. So, it doesn't necessarily imply that. So, I think. So, okay, so where, where were we? Where were we just, I think the brothers, I think they raised their hands. Some, some brothers had back then. The pen is a creature. I mean, you know what the word pen means, right? So, I mean, but it's not obviously. I mean, it's a pen which Allah created. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what his what his. Uh, no, it's not a figure of speech. It's literal. Uh, if it was a figure of speech, uh, the Prophet was, was sent to to clarify to us. So he's going to tell us things literal. So uh, Allah literally created a pen and commanded the pen to write everything which would occur before the, uh, before the day of the Mecca in thousand years. So this point is very important to know that you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of every single thing in general and in detail. And more than that, he has proven put it in a preserved tablet. Okay? So, uh, for instance, like this brother is now moving his... Uh, brothers in America, they, they know not to make any motions when it comes to this topic because they don't get uh, <laughs> chosen. So this uh, brother in Australia has to pick up. So this brother was moving his... Uh, you know, pen back and forth. This is something which is in a preserved tablet. Uh, that we came this afternoon to this place uh, is in the preserved tablet. Uh, everything which will occur until until the day of judgment. Every single thing, even the most, I mean, insignificant, minor things. You know what I'm saying? And not just dealing with human beings, dealing with everything in the universe. Everything that will occur is in that preserved tablet. I think I saw some brothers back there. Better. No. Yes. Well, the Quran, the Quran is something which uh, which is one of the things that occurred. The revelation of the Quran is something which has occurred before the day of judgment. So the Quran that was to be revealed upon Muhammad upon this day, these verses were to be revealed this time. What was the verses and so forth? That's all part of the preserved tablet. All inside it. No, no, no. The book will be protected is in other ayat, but in, in, in Surah Buruj, uh, in Surah 85, this is the concluding verse, it refers to that the Quran is written in that preserved tablet. There's only one preserved tablet. And the Quran is written in that preserved tablet. Because it's something of one of the occurrences that happened from the Day of Judgment. So everything regarding the Quran, its verses, who it was revealed to, when it was revealed, its circumstances, that's all part of inside the preserved tablet. Every single thing that will occur until the Day of Judgment. I mean, your mind, you know, can't imagine. I mean, you know, saying how, how, I mean, you know, it's just something that the mind cannot even begin to fathom. You know, what I'm saying every single thing. So, if, whenever you think of something that has occurred, no matter how insignificant or how large, that's in the preserved chapter. So. Okay, so uh, you had a question over there. that for? 
No, no, I didn't say the first. I said among the first six that was created. I was very careful to use the word among. Because the reason why we cannot say that the pen, this is a grammatical question, is the first thing that is created. Even though some scholars have said that the stronger opinion is that that it's not the first thing that is created, is because in the other hadith in Sahih Muslim, it says that when he, he measured the measures of everything before he created the heavens of the earth by 50,000 years, and his throne was above the water. So it's indicative that there's a throne and there's a water there. So therefore we have to interpret according to the Arabic grammar that that the, the pen is among the first things which was created, not the first thing which was created. Okay, let me take this final sentence. At least we'll have finished paragraph three because we have to uh, break and prepare for prayer. And that um, that above his throne, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has settled the stiwa, and He has a position, uh, possession in His possession is all the universe, all the kingdom. Uh, the word istiwa, which I translated here as settled, has four meanings according to the Arabic language. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Ar-Rahman wa al-Arsh istawa that Ar-Rahman has, has done this action of istiwa over the throne it has four meanings okay. the first meaning is to be above okay, and to be higher and ala wa fawq and also to raise, to rise, abo- to rise above and also to settle is the fourth meaning for the Arabic grammar so, huh? settle, not to settle so, uh, I mean, you know, I, I used one of the, uh, the four meanings. So, I mean, but it should maybe add the other meaning for completeness. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has risen and is above and is higher and has settled upon his throne. And he has position of all the universe. Okay, so, discussion questions. Let's take the three questions very quickly and let's prepare ourselves for prayer. Uh, mention some of Allah's names. We mentioned about five or six of Allah's names here, right? That he is Al-Alim, he knows everything, Al-Khabir. Uh, that he is Al-Qadir, the All-Capable, that he's uh, Al-Kabir, and so forth. Uh, is Allah being above his throne literal meaning? Yes. Because Allah has described himself with that. And whatever Allah describes himself with, we accept as it is. We do not uh, say that it's uh, figurative. Because to claim that it's figurative, what's, what's the problem with claiming that the unseen matters are figurative? What's, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that first of all, it's uh, an accusation uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't convey the message to us as it should be conveyed. Because if Allah didn't want us to, to understand it literally, right, it's his responsibility to explain it to us that, or the Prophet sallallahu So either Allah didn't you know, convey the message, or the Prophet sallallahu didn't convey the message to us. And so therefore, uh, we have to accept it literally. And likewise, speech, you always understand speech literally. I mean, in Arabic language, I mean, in English language, you always understand... When people say literally, you do not assume that it's a figurative meaning unless, unless there's a, a reason for that and so forth. So, and there's other reasons, but uh, we don't have time now to enter into it. Uh, the third question, which is important, is anything hidden from Allah's knowledge? Uh, the answer would be no. We had a number of ayat to show that. Yeah. I think somebody raised their hand. You can ask them very quickly. I saw somebody raise their hand. That's better. There's what? Oh, no. See, that, that, that's the poor translation. It's not allegorical. Uh, the, it's sort of Al-Imran, the third surah. It says, Muhkamat and Mutashabihat. Muhkam means that which only can have one interpretation. You know, it's, it means it's definitive, okay? Uh, unequivocal, okay? Mutashabihat uh, means it, it, it resembles more than one. So, Mutashabihat is what we would call equivocal. You know what I'm saying? It can have more than one in meaning. Muhkamat, Muhkamat, you might write in English letters, uh, M U H, Muhkamat. K-A-M-A-T 
محکمات متشابهات M U T متشابهات A S H I B A T متشابهات okay so متشابهات means those that have more than one in meaning it can be interpreted so uh, those people Allah condemns he says the Quran his book has verses which are محكمات they are the foundation of the book and there are other verses which are متشابهات those who have perversion in the heart they follow the متشابهات but the way you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take the verses which can have more than one interpretation and refer back to the ones the محكمات so that way you, you understand them correctly so that's what the but the, when they translate it allegorical I can see where the problem you know occurs because somebody will say well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said but it's not Allah's the the mistake of the translator who has misinterpreted the Arabic play brothers I think we need to uh, we have five minutes before Salah so let us uh, stop here Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika shalom la ilaha la anta as-sakhir wa tubu alaykum wa jazakum wa khairu assalamu alaykum